What are toxins and what is a detox? Why is detoxing important to do before you become pregnant? In this episode, we unpack the buzzword detox and discuss what detoxing actually is, why it's important to do before becoming pregnant, and how to do it. We share some of our favorite tips and how to find the balance between awareness and overwhelm. This is an important topic, so let's dive in. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Alrighty, we are talking about an all-important topic that is really one of your main favorite things to discuss and something that you know a lot about. You're quite the expert in this, and I love (laughs) it because it's so important, and it's detoxing before you get pregnant, how and why to do it. So go ahead and just go off. Tell us all the things. What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be thinking about? How long do we have to do it for and how to test for it, et cetera, because people need to know this and put more emphasis on this process, ideally in that preconception period before you become pregnant. Yeah. It's preconception for any of you who haven't listened to our preconception episode is basically the time before you become pregnant. And detoxing is the process of supporting your body's ability to get chemicals and toxins out of your body. There is a natural process of detox that happens all the time. Our body is designed to get rid of trash, right? Like we have a natural trash truck in our body that is supposed to gather up all of the the crap that shouldn't be there, both things that we make inherently in our process of day-to-day living and things that come from the outside world that maybe, you know, are new or synthetic All of those need to be packaged up and released and given out of our body, or we build up trash, just like imagine the city of New York, if there were no trash trucks and how much trash would build up there, right? That can happen in our body. So detoxing, when we say the word detox, it's not anything necessarily different or new that your body's already doing. We're just helping to support it, do it better. Essentially, imagine you know, one trash truck in all of New York trying to go around and pick up the trash versus we say, you know what, for these three months before pregnancy, we're going to put a thousand trash trucks in New York and really clean up the streets. <laughs> what joy. <laughs> what, you know, what joy that is. <laughs> and I also have to just call out how much stigma there is around the word detox. I feel like people roll their eyes. They're like, oh, detox, you know, because there's detox supplements, there's detox mm-hmm. powders and drinks and all these different things. And it's really just a buzzword. A lot of that stuff has nothing to do with detoxing and is Mm -hmm. not actually, they're just using it because people are like, oh, a detox juice. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And it's, it's so funny because, you know, even just like the cleanses where you do like a cleanse with juice for, you know, a few weeks, it's very different than what I'm talking about because there's actually a lot of pieces you need to help support detox that are not found in the juice, but there's a time and a place for different things. So the biggest thing to just remember is we make toxins internally, we get them from the outside world and things that we're exposed to, and we need to support our body in getting rid of them. And the reason why this is important is toxins, especially toxins that come from our environment, things like from plastics or fragrance, these chemicals that 
we make as humans in our factories and in the products of making products um, and even things that are natural, like heavy metals. Mercury is a natural thing, but it's a toxin in high amounts in our body. It can cause issues. It can cause issues for a few reasons. One is it can greatly disrupt our hormones. A lot of toxins and chemicals are called endocrine disruptors, and an endocrine means hormone. And when you have a lot of chemicals in your system, they can cause all sorts of funky things to go wrong with your own hormonal rhythms. In order to feel good as a woman and also become pregnant, you need to have your hormones in balance so that you can ovulate, so that your eggs can develop properly, so that you can do all of the physiological things that you need to to not only conceive, but also maintain a pregnancy. And these toxins can can get in the way and disrupt that. For example, there are certain endocrine disruptors that mimic estrogen, things like BPA, which is found in hard plastics, think plastic water bottles or, you know, all the hard plastic uh, items that we have around us, like plastic mixing bowls or Tupperware. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that's hard plastic, it probably has BPA. And if it's BPA free plastic, it still has BPA like materials that are just as toxic. So plastic is plastic. And what happens is that looks like estrogen. So in your body, it can be a fake estrogen and it can make things happen like growing things in your body that you don't want, like fibroids or or polyps or other things that can disrupt fertility. It can lead to heavier, painful periods. It can cause signaling issues with your brain and your ovaries to go haywire. And that's, I just have to say too, it's so wild because these chemicals on really, really small molecular levels will sit in receptors. That's why Mm -hmm. it happens. They are close enough to estrogen like molecules that they Mm -hmm. trigger biological processes to happen. And they will actually, it's not just thinking about, oh, there's chemicals in my bloodstream and like whatever, and who cares? And I've been fine for all these years and whatever. It's no, you guys, these things on in the outside are interacting with our body and causing and pushing pathways, causing actual growth or disruptions or changes in our body mm-hmm. physiologically. And I don't want it to freak anyone out, but we do have control and power over helping lessen the load and all sorts of things. So it's very, very real. Some people love to make fun of t- detoxing and it makes me <laughs> so angry because I'm just like, you have no idea what you're talking about. So I know, I know. It's not just about having toxins in your body, which is the whole thing in and of itself we'll get to, but the hormones are just messengers. So again, you know, I love analogies. So again, imagine that the postal service is in a city and People who deliver mail, New York, New York just (laughs) seems like there's a lot of people and there's a lot of things happening. Like the people that deliver mail are supposed to be legit people who are delivering accurate messages to the people. And imagine the world before the internet and and cell phones and things like that. Like mail was essential. You had to get the correct message from the correct person. Now imagine, let's say it's like wartime. I don't know. My brain goes into crazy places, but let's just say someone infiltrated the mail system and now like half the mailmen were bad people. And they were delivering incorrect messages of telling people, you know, your aunt died or your husband wants to divorce or, you know, all of these crazy things that aren't true. But a person receiving that message would have no idea one way or another. And so toxins in the body are the same. They are acting as fake or faux hormones. The messages are being received just like from your natural hormone, but it's doing things inappropriately. The other way that certain chemicals and toxins can work are things like phthalates. Phthalates are found in 
soft plastics. So think, you know, baggies, shower curtains, um, PVC piping, and anything that has to do with fragrance. So if there's any personal care product, perfume, lotion, shampoo, conditioner that's scented with synthetic fragrance, you would know because on the back of the label, it would say the word fragrance. Phthalates are anti-androgenic, meaning they actually reduce testosterone and DHEA, the androgens in someone's body. Golly. Now, why this is so important is one, as women, we need to have enough androgens for egg quality. So not having enough testosterone or DHEA is a big risk factor for having poor egg quality, which can result in miscarriages, not being able to get pregnant, not being able to hold a pregnancy. But then let's say you do get pregnant and you have a significant amount of phthalates in your system, or you're currently still being exposed because of your environment, then we're finding in numerous studies, the evidence is overwhelming at this point, that it can affect your baby's development while they are in utero. Because let's say a little boy needs to have 10 units of testosterone around when it's the day to build his penis, right? It's like you need to have a certain amount of testosterone there to do it. If your body's full of phthalates or you're being exposed to phthalates and they're anti-androgenic, that little boy might only have two units of testosterone on the day that he needs to build his reproductive organs. And so all of, a lot of these little boys are being born with inappropriately developed reproductive organs that's affecting not only their ability to have proper reproduction, but it can impact them not like in short term, like not only their anatomical parts are not normal, but it's affecting them all the way into their adulthood when they want to go try to have children, their sperm isn't working well. They have things that didn't develop correctly when they were babies. So this can feel really scary. And I don't say this to scare you, but we also need to wake up to the idea that this is a big deal. And this isn't just a, well, this is like a nice thing that some people should talk about. I mean, this really should be a whole huge conversation of awareness that we as people, society and, and women have around the exposure to these things. So it affects fertility as well outside of just reproductive development. You know, there's two things when we want to have children, we want to get pregnant in the first place. And a lot of these endocrine disruptors can do that. It also will affect our baby's development and the epigenetics and how they develop their health, not only as babies, but also into their adulthood. So I could go into lots of details about all the studies and all the different things, but I'm not going to you know, go into all of that now. You can follow me for more of that info or I have it in courses and things. But just moral of the story, if you're wanting to learn more about the specific literature on especially the toxins affecting male fertility and, and otherwise, the book The Countdown is really a, a powerful book. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of resources. When you said that, it reminded me of the conversation I think we had talked about in some other episode, I forget, that they were finding that women who had hypoglandular tissue, who were going to try to nurse their babies and who had actual truly not enough of the tissue that makes the milk in their breasts in order to make enough milk for the baby. They had done some studies where they tracked back retroactive studies, you know, so it's not necessarily mm -hmm. the most accurate, but it was very interesting that their, their exposures in utero were statistically significantly higher, you know, maybe their their parents were um, nail technicians or uh -huh. hairstylists or had some sort of huge exposure at work or some sort, of, some sort of a situation of toxins while they were pregnant with those women who then became mothers who couldn't nurse their babies. And there was something that happened, like you're saying, um, 
so I think, you know, there's toxins do affect obviously all systems of the body, but it's particularly anything to do with the reproductive system that is really getting a hard hit. And look at what, what's happening right now with the fertility rates. We really need to be paying attention to this. Yeah. Like you're saying, and uh, it just feels like there's not a greater conversation happening. We're hoping to get the ball rolling with that or continue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the thing is, a lot of the toxins, for some interesting reason, mimic a lot of the sex hormones or block a lot of the sex hormones. And so in fetal development, the sex hormones are what develop, what, whether they make a boy or whether they make a fetus a boy or a girl. Um, you know, that differentiation depends on which, how much estrogen or testosterone is present relative to the others. And that all happens when the baby is in utero. So it's very interesting, especially given the light of all of the things that are coming out, even in today's world of, you know, our toxins potentially playing a role in that. Um, but the other thing to, to highlight there is I had a thing to say and it totally lost me. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It'll come back to me. I'm sure in that. Oh, yes. PCOS. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. This is a condition that women or a imbalance that women can experience that is typically signs of high androgens. So acne, irritability, greasy, oily skin or hair, irregular periods. So your periods don't come very often. Um, And then they can have cysts on their ovaries. But it's the number one cause of infertility in women. And we are finding more and more as well that exposure in utero, those little baby girls, is where that the genes of turning on the issues that lead to PCOS might be happening. So it's just a big deal. And granted to say, if you're listening to this and you've already had your children, you've already been pregnant, like it's okay. There's a lot that we can do because in this world, as with everything that we teach about, there's always a happy medium and a happy balance. And we'll get to the stress of trying to, you know, mitigate that that world. And I'll share even, you know, some of my own personal journey through that, but we do the best we can. We need to know first and foremost, what the risks are and what's happening. And we need to take the steps to do the best we can. And at the end of the day, nothing's perfect. And we're just going to have to live with that. You know, we just have to evolve as a species to be better, but at the same time, we're not evolving fast enough (laughs) given the, the, the toxin exposure. So when we talk about detox, the analogy I really want you to think about is a sink and a drain. So imagine if your sink is overflowing with water, we have a problem. That means that your toxic load, your trash trucks in New York are not doing their job and the trash is overflowing. Okay. The sink is overflowing with water. Toxins come in through the water faucet. Okay. So think the faucet's on and then they leave through the drain. So water is analogous to toxins here. You might have a really well-functioning drain And you can turn the faucet on pretty high and that water just goes straight through the sink and you never overflow. These are the people who are like, oh my God, I smoke and I drink and I use fragrance and all these things and I don't have any problem. Look, I have 10 kids, you know, and that's how those people can do it because they have a good drain. That means that their detox processes and their body is working really well. Some people might have a clogged drain meaning their detox processes don't work very well and they could barely have any toxins coming in. Their sink is a slow drip. This is me. This is my life. Very conscious and aware of everything around me and like being very mindful of having just a slow drip of toxins. Yet if I don't consciously and actively support my drain, if I don't open it daily, then I overflow my sink even with just a small drip coming through. So regardless Everyone would benefit from reducing the toxins coming in, turning the, the faucet down. That's the first step. 
The first step is reducing exposure. And that's something that's in our control in a big way. Some things not, but a lot of things they are based on the types of cleaning products you choose to bring into your home, the personal care products you choose to use, the furniture you choose to buy, you know, the paint you choose to paint your walls with, like all the choices in the products that you consume, because the majority of the toxins that are affecting us are coming from products. The other thing is toxins potentially coming from food. So choosing local organic sources of food. I know organic isn't perfect. And people, anytime we talk about toxins and organic always lash out and they're like toxic or people who have organic still can use pesticides. This is true. There are organic pesticides and herbicides that organic farmers can use. However, they are significantly better than conventional pesticides and herbicides. And there's still a lot of other restrictions put around them that even if it's not perfect, it is better than just eating conventionally grown food that is sprayed with glyphosate and all of the crazy stuff that we have out there. So it's all about reducing your total load versus not ever eating organic because it's not perfect, if that makes sense. And so there's that also, you know, eating out, just being mindful of the types of foods that are used in restaurants when you eat out and the types of containers that they use to put them in when you leave. Oh my you know, gosh. One time, containers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One time I was pregnant, we were in Portland and I, I was craving pho. I needed it. I needed pho so badly. We were at a farmer's market and they put the hot pho in a thin, soft, squishy plastic bag oh, no. and handed it to me. And I, I was like, the, all the thoughts going on in my mind, you know, because heat and plastic are, are mm-hmm. much worse than just cold thing and plastic. And I I do think I ended up eating it actually, because the craving was so bad, but those sorts of things, if you can prevent it, if you know, if you know not to microwave your daily lunch at work in a soft plastic Tupperware container, that's a huge reduction. If you can get Mm -hmm. a glass container and it's these little things that don't seem like they would add up, but they really do. It's millions of grains of sand on the beach that is causing the problems that people have today. Yeah, exactly. It's all the little things. So just being mindful of it, you know, not going crazy in the sense that I tell people there's an 80-20 or 90-10 rule that we always want to practice. As you're preparing for pregnancy, maybe that shifts a little bit more to 90-10 or 95-5 where you're a little bit more mindful because this window is when you are growing your eggs. So your eggs are developing the three to four months before you conceive and the toxins that are around or that your eggs are exposed to when they're developing will determine whether you have chromosomal abnormalities or not, or, you know, how healthy your eggs are. So this is maybe the window to be the most mindful in your life. You know, it doesn't have to be forever, but still not going crazy to the point where you never eat out or you never go to the farmer's market or you never travel or do any of these things. It's what are you doing 90% of the time? So some of the top places to start is getting plastic out of your life as much as possible. Like you said, switching your plastic containers for glass, getting a stainless steel, a real stainless steel or glass water bottle. Um, You know, even I go as far as not even drinking out of the plastic straws. Like I have a Stanley water bottle and it comes with a plastic straw. I swap it with a metal one. You know, there's metal straws that you can buy on Amazon because otherwise you're just sucking up, you know, stuff through a plastic straw all day long. Um, You know, we don't have really anything plastic, but it's not to the point where I'm not going to go buy vegetables at the grocery store because they're maybe wrapped in plastic. Um, There have been studies done where it's the processed food, food that is the most processed, something that is 
found in a box, a bag that is made in a lab. It's not, you know, tomatoes in a box that the box is plastic, but the tomatoes are real food. It's things that are actually fake food that have the highest sources of of issues with that. So I would say eating whole foods as much as possible, even if you have to buy them in plastic at the grocery store is fine. I would rather you eat the meat if it has like plastic wrapped around it than not buy the meat because there's plastic on it. You know what I mean? So limiting processed food, limiting non-organic food, being mindful about eating out and just maybe bringing, I bring a glass Tupperware a lot of times when we go out, if I know I'm going to go to Indian food or something um, where they maybe have a styrofoam or (laughs) plastic to go Tupperware and you just have it in your car and you bring it in say, Hey, can I put it in this glass Tupperware? I mean, do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, if you don't have it, you know, it's not all the time, but if you eat out three to four times a week, be mindful of that. Um, The next place is your cleaning products. So cleaning products are a huge source of toxins, especially because I don't know what it is with our culture where we think that dousing our home in chemicals and toxins makes it clean. clean. (laughs) I just, this is the craziest thing to me. And that dousing ourselves with chemicals like perfume makes us smell good because to me, it all just smells toxic. Yeah. Well, and it's because we have such a fear of bacteria and viruses. So we would trade human made chemicals for viruses and bacteria, (laughs) which I am the opposite. I would trade viruses and bacteria any day because they train your immune system and the things that you're going to have in your home are not harmful, right? Like I'm obviously washing my hands a lot when I go out in public, but in my home, you know, I don't douse it with chemicals. There are alternatives, things like Branch Basics, um, Force of Nature. There's all of these different amazing companies that are making stuff, but even something as simple as vinegar and vinegar. baking soda. It, yeah. Like that's, this is the biggest lie we've been sold by the industry is that you don't need anything other than vinegar <laughs> in your life because it's, it just does so much and it's so cheap. So things like that, cleaning products, looking at your personal care products, you know, what are you using every day? Perfumes, shampoo, conditioner, body wash. Um, they all add up. They all matter in a big, big way. And bigger than that, you know, once you start, I have a course on this again, I, I say this a lot because I just have courses for for so many things. But if you feel overwhelmed about where to start and what to do with reducing exposure, I have a step-by-step guide of exactly what to do, how to create a monthly plan based on your budget of what to start swapping out and all of this kind of stuff um, at womanhoodwellness.com. So look into that. However, Uh, the other thing to be mindful of, especially in the time before and during pregnancy is buying new furniture. And this is something that's new in my mind because I'm kind of in that space, uh, new furniture, especially fake wood furniture, things like particle board, anything that's manufactured wood or particle board often is glued together with formaldehyde and a lot of other chemicals that are, are really harmful to yourself and to your babies. Um, So just if you're going to buy a new couch, a new dresser, you know, a new headboard, a new mattress, just be mindful. And I think it's worth waiting to budget or save the money to buy something that's less toxic because it's in those first few months or years when you buy something new that it off gases the most. And it's not ideal. Like it's just such a common thing when people are preparing for pregnancy that they go all buy all new furniture for the nursery and all of these things. And if you're not being mindful about where they're sourced from, you can actually just create a toxic soup of a place that your baby's going to be in for the next two years. And that's such a shame. Prioritizing the mattress. If you had to pick one thing, would you say? The mattress, well, wherever you spend the most time, yeah, mattress first and foremost, and then, you know, a couch, but there's very easy places to swap, you know, a new mom's going to spend a lot of time on the couch nursing or in a a nursing chair, whatever you prefer, 
you know, op op opting for things that don't have flame retardant sprayed on them or that, you know, are just cleaners. So there's, again, I have a resource of products that I recommend. There's a lot of other non-toxic people that you can follow on Instagram, but womanhoodwellness.com slash products. You can kind of go there. The ewg.org has great guides on what to look for when you're buying paint or, you know, mm. lawn items or, you know, anything for the house. Very, very helpful. So that's kind of the first step is reducing exposure. Step number two is maybe you want to test and find out if you even have a high toxic load. And this is possible. You can do toxin testing. And there's three different types of tests that I typically do. One you can do, it's all in urine, to look at environmental toxins, things like BPA, phthalates, volatile organic chemicals, uh, herbicides and pesticides found on food, all of these different things that we see in our environment. They can tell you how high they are in you compared to what should be the national average. It's not compared to zero because we now at this point know that no one has zero of anything. Uh, well, that's not true. There's some people, but basically seeing, is there an issue either with my detox pathways or am I being exposed sneakily somewhere? And I just want to highlight this because I've done this recently and discovered I had really high phthalates. And yeah, it's been really sad and stressing me out because- How? Well, we have we moved into a new home that has turf in the backyard. And uh, I highly suspect the turf because turf is just plastic. Oh no. It's it's the only thing I can think of other than potentially I did get a new car about 2 years ago. New cars can off-gas things like this. So, and I just know based on my testing and my genetics and all the things that I don't have a good drain. So even just a small amount of exposure for me adds up. And this is why I'm so devoted to the next three months before I get pregnant to really support my detox pathways, which I'll talk about, to get these out. The cool thing about phthalates is they have a pretty quick half-life, meaning once they're in your body, they will leave quite quickly. But if you're currently being exposed continuously, then that's a problem. So for me and my daughter moving forward, because of... My husband refuses to change the turf with grass. It's like, whatever. We're just going to wear shoes on the hot turf in the summer, whereas we were always barefoot, which is unfun and it sucks. But at the same time, it's the heat, just like you mentioned. Anytime heat comes in contact with plastic, like heating up food in plastic containers, having hot water bottles in the car, that heat exchange is what causes the toxins to release. Same with a plastic shower curtain. When you're in the hot shower, it releases the chemicals from that. So, so you're something, just breathing them in the whole you're time just breathing you're them in. Yeah, because we don't have a plastic shower curtain. We have an organic hemp one, and we dry it out very specifically to avoid mold because that's a whole other toxin. So there's a lot of things. like it's It does feel unfun when you get into this world, but for some people like me, I have to take extreme measures to protect myself and my family because my drain both genetically and otherwise, like epigenetically, I just, I don't detox well. Some people might not have to do all of these extreme measures, you know? But also it's like, if you take it little by little, you will learn these things become habituated yes. and then they don't feel so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And sometimes to some extent, we sort of need to like buck up and realize that the conveniences of modern day living are there's a, there's a benefit risk ratio there. Yes. Right. And so for us to think like, Oh, I don't want to have to dry out my shower curtain. Like I can't do that. It's like, <laughs> okay, well think about what you're really saying. The fact that we even mm -hmm. have homes, we live inside, mm -hmm. we have all these things. I mean, it's a 10,000 foot view, 
look and to zoom out and realize, you know what, we can make these small changes so that they become just part of your daily living and they don't feel too overwhelming, but you do need to go slow so that Mm -hmm. that process can happen. It's okay. Exactly. Going slow is really key. And like I said, in my course, I guide you through exactly how to go slow. There's other consultants and people that you can work with who work on that. But just as an example for the shower curtain thing, in our bathroom where we have a shower curtain, it is an organic hemp shower curtain. And then I have a liner on the outside of it. Every time after we shower, we rinse it out, we wring it out, and then loop it over the spigot, you know, the faucet or the whatever the shower had, so that it's not adhered to the side of the tub because it doesn't dry that way. So that way it drains. And then we have a dehumidifier in our bathroom to draw the moisture because that is the concern with plastic and non-plastic is mold, right? Um, But it's more likely, even though hemp is better than cotton in certain circumstances, you know, it's just an extra step that we take, but I will choose that over showering with a plastic shower curtain, you know, it's mm-hmm. just different things yep. that you, that you make. And when you said liner, it kind of indicated that maybe it was a plastic liner. No, you're just talking about your like kind of nicer looking cute patterned cotton thing. Correct. So I have one of those and then my liner is hemp. Yeah. I don't have a liner plastic is liner. Hemp. Okay. So mm-hmm. you have something facing on the outside that's cute and like yes. decorative and then yes. your liner is hemp. Yes, exactly. Got it. There's, There's no, no plastic. plastic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Nope. Yep. Cause the hemp is like somewhat keeps the water in. It does. I mean, it, it doesn't come out on the outside. So that's just an example of like little things that you can shift. Um, so that's key. Obviously eating. So this is the next thing we're going to talk about eating. We already mentioned how to avoid chemicals, but we also want to now eat to support detox. So let's start talking about some of the things to open the drain. We've already talked about kind of reducing exposure now to open the drain, there's a couple things. Detox is really complicated. And I do have another course on this if you want to dive deeper into it. But the moral of the story is <laughs> we have a liver that packages. Okay. So think of the liver as sort of the UPS, the UPS store. store. Exactly. Yeah. And in the analogy that I use, well, actually, I have a train and a bus station analogy. I do talk about the <laughs> UPS store, but uh, there's two, there's three phases to detox. Okay. So there's phase one, two, and three. Think of the toxins have to leave on a poop train. Okay. There's a train called the poop train and it leaves your body and goes into the toilet. And that is the final stage of how a toxin leaves your body. Well, a toxin can leave your body in poop, pee, breath, or sweat. And the trash trucks in New York are equivalent to the lymph system that gathers up all the trash and brings them to the bus station and the train station. Okay. So think of all the trash gets carried around by the trucks in New York, the trash trucks bring them to the bus station, the train station, and then they leave on one of these poop trains or sweat trains or or water trains, whatever. So we do things to support all three phases and our lymph drainage. So in our toxin analogy, these, this trash, these toxins are first brought to a bus station. They have to get on a bus. They have to have a ticket to get on the bus to go to the train station. So the bus takes them to the train. If you've ever been traveling in Europe, you know, there's like, you get on a bus to get to a train to get to an airplane. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. And the bus so, and the train are in the liver. Yes. Those are phase one and phase two of liver detox. And then phase three is the actual leaving of the train. Okay. So think the trash has been put out by the homes in New York. Those are your cells, your lymph movement and all of the lymph in your body, which exists outside of your blood system, gathers up all the trash, just like the trash trucks and drives them to the bus station. 
these toxins have to have a ticket to get on the bus. Okay. If you don't have a ticket, you can't get on the bus. Imagine New York trash trucks dumping trash outside of a bus station and these trash people, these trash things don't have tickets. Imagine the buildup that is going to happen there. Same thing if you go to the train station and you don't have a ticket, it builds up, builds up. So this is often what happens if you don't detox well, you don't have the right tickets. Your tr- the toxins can't leave. They can't get on the bus. They can't get on the train. And if they can't get on the train, they can't leave the body. Okay. Sometimes, so that's phase one and phase two liver detox. So some of the things I'm going to be talking about support giving toxins tickets for the bus and the train, phase one and phase two. <laughs> Sometimes people have totally fine bus and train stations. The train doesn't leave called Mm. constipation or called Mm -hmm. I don't sweat or called I don't drink water. (laughs) So that's phase three, which is eliminating it out of the body. So sometimes people need to support more of their transit, you know, more of helping them poop daily and having all that stuff. And some people need to support all three, right? So when we talk about detoxing, when you're supporting yourself for pregnancy or any time, You need to clear all the paths for toxins and trash to get out of your body as easily as possible. So you actually start with phase three, because if you bring a bunch of trash to your train and your bus and your train's not leaving, like let's say it has a broken axle, you know, you're constipated, you're not pooping, you're going to be in a big pickle. And this is where just doing willy-nilly detoxes can be a problem Mm -hmm. because if you're not supporting phase three first and pooping and sweating and, and drinking water and all of that, then you can actually cause more harm than good because these toxins, when brought to the train station, if they don't have their ticket, they're pissed and they get really mad. And there's like a mob that starts to like build up outside of the train station and the bus station. And it can actually cause more damage in your body. And it's like inflammation and you feel inflammation, oxidative damage. Yes. So if ever you're doing a detox and you feel like that, that means that you're pushing toxins too fast where you don't have enough tickets and they can't get off. Give your Give. trash more tickets. <laughs> exactly, the tickets. And I explained, like I said, this all, you know, whenever people take my detox course, they're like, that was a really intense course. There's a lot to learn. And I should probably like dial it down. But it's to me, I'm I like, love your they're just analogies. It's my favorite thing about you. Well, <laughs> and what you were saying too, it makes sense in terms of your drain sink analogy. If if your like disposal was clogged, you're not just going to shove more things down exactly. it. You're going you're gonna to start at the bottom of the pipes and clear out what's mm-hmm. not flowing at the bottom so that the top can eventually drain and trickle back down. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So the first step of detox is doing the lifestyle practices that support elimination, which is pooping every day. How do you poop every day? Drink lots of water. I really like squatty potties. It puts you in a proper position for your bowels to poop. Fiber, but as long as you have enough water. If you're all of a sudden, oh, I read this, you know, I saw this YouTube video about fiber and I'm now drinking tons and tons of psyllium and now you're more blocked up. Like you have to have water as well. Otherwise, fiber can block you up. If you are doing all of that and still not having a daily bowel movement, potentially check your thyroid potentially look at your microbiome because you should be pooping at least every day. If you're not, there's an issue there. You want to be sweating if you can. Um, You know, exercise and sweating is wonderful. If you sweat with exercise, I don't because I'm too cold as a person. So if you can sweat, that releases a lot of chemicals, in particular, BPA, phthalates, and heavy metals come out of sweat. Um, Making sure you're drinking lots of water to flush your kidneys. That's the other place that toxins leave is through your water 
ways. So, you know, there's a water boat that leaves the body and a train. Um, So drinking lots of water and deep breathing. We also release toxins through our breath. If you hold your breath and you have a lot of shallow breathing, you know, having big, deep belly breaths, you know, having a practice maybe every day before bed, doing deep breathing is really helpful. So the next thing is we want to support phase two liver detox. And we can do that with the foods that we're eating as well as certain supplements and herbs. So phase two, you really want to use brassica family foods. If there's any food, I would say, what can really support detox? It's the brassicas. Brassicas are things like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, um, broccoli sprouts, chard, anything in that family group has sulfur-containing components. That's why broccoli smells like rotten eggs if you leave it in a Tupperware overnight. The other foods that support phase two are things like eggs because they also have sulfur components. Um, Anything that kind of has that sulfury smell is really good for phase two detox. In particular, one of my favorite foods are broccoli sprouts. Broccoli sprouts contain a nutrient called sulforaphane. And this is really good at supporting detox, in particular detoxing estrogen. So any of the estrogenic chemicals that you're exposed to, like BPA and also your own. And this is something you can grow on your own. It's so cheap. You can get broccoli seeds. I'm doing this right now in my house. I was just going to say, is this why you've been eating so many sprouts? I keep saying this. And it's so easy because you just soak them overnight and you just rinse them twice a day for like three days. And all of a sudden you have an entire mason jar full of sprouts. And you can obviously buy these at the grocery store, but you know, it's like $5 a container and it's so cheap to do it on your own. And this is probably one of the most powerful foods that you can eat for detox. Other things that support detox are you have to have adequate protein. If you do not have enough protein, you cannot detox. You Protein is part of the ticket for these toxins. So people who do juice fasts um, or juice cleanses, there's a component of that that can be helpful to kind of give your digestive tract a break to some extent. But I actually am a bigger fan of getting really good quality meat and making sure that you have good detox or good protein uh, sources for your detox. Leafy greens is another wonderful thing because you need methylation factors in order to detox. So if you ever see in a supplement methylfolate or methyl B12, these are methyl groups. You have to have a methyl group to support detox. You naturally have folate in leafy greens. So things like arugula and spinach and really any of your greens, chard, you know, I know that kind of falls into the brassica family too, but anything leafy green, trying to have that, you can put it and disguise it into things like spaghetti or smoothies or throw it into egg dishes. Or last night we had turkey meatloaf that had tons and tons of spinach in it. So although eating salads is wonderful, I'm you know a fan of salads, it doesn't have to just be you eat a salad all the time. You can put a lot of these foods in. Get creative. Foods. Yeah. Um, and then berries. This is the last food I'm going to highlight because berries are really high in antioxidants. So remember when I talked about how the trash trucks bring the toxins to the bus and train station? Well, in order to calm them down and reduce oxidation and inflammation from those toxins while they wait to leave on the detox train, you want antioxidants all around your body because the antioxidants calm down those toxins as they wait to leave. So berries are just one of the best ways that you can get those antioxidants. So we've talked about the sink and drain analogy. We've talked about what detox does. We've talked about why it's important and 
the different components of reducing exposure, supporting phase three, phase two. And obviously there's a lot more details in all of this, but I, I can't go into it all in one podcast. But to just talk about a few specifics, the lifestyle stuff is much more for phase three. However, there are things that you can do to support. Like for instance, if you're not having a daily bowel movement, something like magnesium citrate as a supplement might be helpful because it helps pull water into your colon and helps you have that bowel movement. I'm obviously a fan of getting to the root cause of things. So I don't just use this as a Band-Aid per se, but sometimes you need a little help to get stuff out of the system before it starts working well. It's like Drano. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I'm not a fan of conventional laxatives. I find that they cause more problems and more harm than good. So if your doctor ever tells you to take a conventional laxative, ask, is there something more natural I could take that does a similar function? And magnesium citrate is that. Calm is like one of my favorite supplements for that. Yeah, it's called Calm Powder by Vital Vital Life. It's a a nice tasting. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then on top of that, you can do more intense support for these detox pathways. So for sweating, you know, you can go into an infrared sauna or a sauna of any sort, and it will just kind of push that pathway a little bit more to help your, oh, go ahead. Really quick, one of my favorite things has become hot, hot Epsom salt baths. Now oh, that I'm yes. pregnant, I can't do it anymore. But yes. for some reason, just plain hot bath water will not make me sweat. But yes. if I add Epsom salts, what is that? Why does that happen? I sweat like crazy. Yes. And Epsom salt baths, thank you for highlighting that, are a wonderful way to detox and actually is one of the preferred methods of detoxing mold, says our colleague, Dr. Leslie Black, who we'll have on the podcast soon, um, as well as there's uh, like zeonite clay or these other clay clay baths that you can take that help you sweat and detox. So uh, these things just help that process, right? Um, You can help your lymph movement by moving. So lymph can't move on its own. Your trash trucks can't move on its own. What's the fuel that helps them move? You have to move. You have to pump your muscles and move your body. So exercise is wonderful for that. Jumping up and down on a trampoline, doing dry skin brushing. There's lots of videos on YouTube. Again, I have all of the resources in my courses, but you can look up this stuff or you can have a practitioner help you with lymph massage or um, electrolymphatic drainage, which I love. Now, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's it's nice to create some sort of like a little routine where say you you jump for like five minutes outside mm-hmm. and then you come into your bathroom and you dry skin brush for five minutes while your bathtub is filling up and then you, you get into a really warm bath and and sweat and doing that just a couple of times a week can make such a big difference. difference. And it's a great routine. Yeah. It doesn't have to feel overwhelming. It's like, okay, I'm just going to do this and then this and then, you know, and it's like part of this whole thing. I mean, the bathwater has to fill up anyway, so Mm -hmm. you can jump and skin brush in that time and you're still really, really helping move along these things that could just be stagnant and stuck. Yeah, exactly. So then once you've really opened up phase three, you can support a little bit more intensely phase two and one. Um, So some supplements and other herbs and things on top of the food we already talked about are things like glutathione. Now, some people, glutathione might be too intense for them. And if ever you take something like that, always take it with your doctor. This is not medical advice. You have to always work with your doctor. But if ever you feel symptoms like weird or dizzy or flu-like, then you're pushing detox too hard and you need to slow back down and work more on the drainage of opening those phase three. But glutathione can be a wonderful support. Herbs like dandelion, artichoke, and milk thistle. Those are my three favorite herbs for supporting detox. 
Um, certain nutrients like trimethylglycine is a methyl support. So similar to methylfolate and methyl B12, those are needed for detox, but trimethylglycine is another one that can be really helpful. Um, and then if you do have gut microbiome issues and estrogen, high estrogen is a big issue for you, which if you don't know, I have a quiz at womanhoodwellness.com where you can find your estrogen imbalance. If high estrogen is a part for you, things like calcium deglucurate can be really helpful because sometimes when your toxins leave on the poop train, if your microbiome is not good, you can recirculate them back into your body. So there's certain things that can help with all of that. But the things I highlighted just there, again, there's a lot more I could go into. Those are a good solid list to start with. So at the end of the day, detox is very important. It's something that we should be prioritizing, in my opinion, before we become pregnant. It's not something we can do or we should do once we are pregnant. You can obviously do gentle things like pooping every day and yeah. <laughs> drinking lots of water, but we don't push these detox pathways. We don't you know, do a lot of lymph drainage or take things like glutathione or any of the herbs that I mentioned while you're pregnant. And you don't want to do it while you're early breastfeeding either. So the window of time is really in the preconception time to do this. Or if you are like me, wanting to do this again before another baby, weaning, ideally, which we talked about in the last episode with Dr. Morgan, and giving yourself a few months. How long do you detox? A day of detox is better than none. A month is better than a day. Three months is better than one. You know, Any amount of time that you're willing to do this is ideal. I would say if someone was like, but what's the ideal ideal? I mean, the ideal plus practical, I would say is three months of a really intensely focused detox, being mindful of your exposures and supporting your gentle detox pathways is kind of an ongoing thing. Um, and then if you're super serious and you have the time doing a six month, you know, approach would be awesome if you could do that and like really work on that. If you want more support, you know, maybe working with someone one-on-one -on -one for your unique detox issues. Like for example, I know I have a COMT and an MTHFR mutation that make detox harder for me. I know that my microbiome tends to be less ideal for estrogen <laughs> excretion. Um, and I just, a lot of this is genetics. You know, I, my grandma had breast cancer. I have certain genetics that I just have to work harder at to, to combat than the average person. Um, so you can do that kind of testing with naturopathic doctors and functional medicine doctors, and you can work with people like Dr. Morgan or the practitioners that are associated with womanhood wellness in my company, but there's a lot of other options too. So at the end of the day, detox is a, is an important thing. And if you really want to go deep, maybe working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, or you can always check out my courses and I have a detox component in all of my, my core programs too, but that is kind of a, a high level view of detox before pregnancy. You are such a good example of somebody who really has taken the information about themselves at, on a biochemical and individuality level and lives it. Like you really truly live what you preach and it's mm -hmm. just so inspiring. You you have so much passion for this and I hope that this episode can be really helpful and just kind of be the catalyst for somebody who's interested. And again, please check out Dr. Leah's programs if you're wanting more because this is a very complex topic mm -hmm. that we just simply cannot give you all the information in a podcast. So yeah. you really uh, would benefit from those programs. So go ahead and check that out. And thank you so much for your wisdom. Yeah. And all the details are in the show notes, so you don't have to write anything down, but thank you, Dr. Out. Morgan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. 
In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now, and it starts with you. Please remember that the ideas and views presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. Now go have a wonderful day. You've got this.